Environmental issues have been making plenty of headlines lately. In the past month alone, the U.S. Supreme Court temporarily blocked federal regulators from enforcing new rules limiting greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. California Governor Jerry Brown urged lawmakers in his state to allocate more than $175 million to clean up thousands of lead-contaminated homes near a recently closed battery recycling plant. And, of course, Flint, Michigan's tap water woes have become a national, even international, cause celeb. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll focus on Indiana's environmental changes and examine some of the key environmental bills or anti-environmental bills, depending on your point of view, that have generated fierce debate this session. We'll begin with this overview from Christopher Ayers of WFYI Public Media. We have come to Paris to show our resolve. From the climate conference in Paris, to the water crisis in Flint, to the ongoing court battle over the Environmental Protection Agency's authority, environmental issues haven't strayed far from the national conversation in recent months. The same could be said of the conversation taking place here at home. With just a few weeks left in the 2016 session, amid state house debates over adoption records, criminal sentencing, and standardized testing, are several bills that deal with environmental policy. One bill aims to limit the rulemaking ability of the Department of Environmental Management, the state's environmental regulator. Another proposal deals with various environmental matters, from wastewater and solid waste management regulations to the disposal of electronic devices. Then there's the ongoing legal battle over the EPA's Clean Power Plan, which would require states to submit their own plans to reduce carbon emissions by the year 2030. Indiana is among several states suing the federal government over the proposed rule, and the U.S. Supreme Court recently said the EPA cannot move forward until those legal challenges end. So, with the clock ticking on this 2016 session, expect plenty of debate around issues affecting the state's environment. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Christopher Ayers. Thanks, Christopher. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researcher Phil Owens is creating new ways to map soil functions, improve plant growth, and increase crop yields, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Should Indiana's environmental rulemakers be barred from imposing guidelines that are more stringent than those set forth by the federal EPA? Should county officials be able to eliminate the solid waste management districts that the state mandated 25 years ago to promote recycling? And should Indiana get a better handle on just how much water the state's utilities are losing to leaky pipes? Those are just a few of the questions looming this session as lawmakers seek to strike an appropriate balance between Hoosier citizens' right to clean air, land, and water and Hoosier businesses' right to a reasonable regulatory climate. Here to explore the issue are Republican Representative David Wilkins of Warsaw, Chairman of the House Environmental Affairs Committee, Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, a member of that same panel, and Tim Maloney, Senior Policy Director at the Hoosier Environmental Council. Now, we had hoped to be joined today by Republican Senator Ed Charbonneau of Valparaiso, Chairman of the Senate Environmental Affairs Committee, but the inclement weather prevented him from being here this week. I don't know if that's a factor of global warming or global freezing or whatever, but that's an issue for another day, I suppose. Let's start uh, just with a general assessment of what is the environmental, uh, the state of the environment, if you will, in Indiana right now? I mean, 
Some of the studies weren't very complimentary. There was one that uh, came out last year that had Indiana fourth worst in the nation at 48th in air quality, 38th in water quality, and those aren't great numbers. No, they're not, but you have to look at what Indiana does. We're one of the top manufacturing states in the U.S., and if you have a manufacturing facility, you're going to have a smokestack, and smokestacks put things into the air. So uh, we can take those numbers up a whole lot higher than what, what they are if we simply want to start shutting down our factories, and that may end up, ha end up happening if our, if our coal-fired power plants get, get shut down. But overall, the, the air is cleaner, the water, the Cleaner Act, the, the uh, uh, federal rules have had a good effect on our environment, and we're a lot better now than we were 20 years ago. So if this were a billboard chart, we'd be number fourth worst with a bullet on the way That's up, right. I guess, That's improving. Right. Do you buy that? Are we, are well, we getting better? I guess it's a matter of whether you think the glass is half empty or half full, and I think that actually we have a lot of environmental problems that are kind of out of sight, out of mind. So, for example, I think a lot of people don't realize if you go fishing in a lot of the rivers around Indiana, those are in impaired waters. And in a lot of cases, they have warnings out saying if you catch certain bottom-feeding fish, you don't want to eat them because they may be full of heavy metals. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, if the legislature doesn't acknowledge that and attempt to remedy those problems, your average person might not be even aware that the problem exists. Tim Maloney, I'm guessing uh, you probably uh, weighed in on that very study I mentioned uh, and could probably cite chapter and verse. Uh, is that a fair assessment of Indiana's environment right now, fourth worst in the country? I think in, in, in many categories, yes, we have a lot of challenges here, and as Representative Wolken said, it's a, partly a function of our, of our economic history and manufacturing and, and agriculture, and, and that's left a legacy of, of um, Indiana ranking high in, in toxic pollution and um, uh, in terms of um, overall environmental quality and as Representative Pierce said the um, our impaired waters uh, throughout the state but uh, there are some signs of, of, of hope and progress uh, throughout the state and we see a lot of uh, positive activity going on in our communities around the state and 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 the, the growing emphasis on quality of life as being such an key component of, of successful economic development strategies so there, there's hope on the horizon, but we certainly have a lot of work to do yet in terms of, of changing those rankings and, and getting up off the bottom. Well, let's dive into some of the specific pieces of legislation that uh, have been introduced this uh, session, and we'll start with House Bill 1082, uh, Representative Wilkins. This is the not more so-called not more stringent than legislation, which is. Um, more or less the same uh, as something you've introduced in the past, what, three or four years. What is it you're uh, seeking to accomplish? And, and we'll point out that now that as things work through the legislature, it probably uh, it, it won't be in the fashion that you had uh, initially introduced it, but we'll get to that in a minute. But what is it, it you wanted to do with this bill? I, what I want to do is, is make sure that future environmental regulators don't get carried away. I personally feel that the EPA has gone way above and beyond some of the authority that they have. And regulators regulate, that's what they do. Uh, I go back to many years ago, the item we had in my mind was very similar to what the EPA we have now. Uh, they, they, were, they were looking to regulate anything and everything, I, I, whether it was wetlands, whether it was uh, emissions coming out of smokestacks. I just think that the Regulations coming out of the EPA are strong enough. They're not a minimum standard. They're strong enough. 
And if they want to go above and beyond, which there may be cases where they can, then we as policymakers at the Indiana legislature should be the one to, to allow them to do that. So it's a matter of who gets to make the call whether you go uh, above and beyond. Because like I said, we, we've gone above and beyond in a couple of instances. General Assembly has gone along with it, hasn't tried to stop it. So it's a matter of who makes the policy. Is it unelected people that are regulating, uh, working in these agencies, or whether it is us as elected officials? And Matt Pierce, I'm guessing you have a different take I on that piece, piece of legislation. I, I did not support Representative Wilkins' effort on this point, but uh, I think that you don't want to tie the hands of the state to create unique solutions to its environmental problems. And I haven't really had too many of my constituents saying those darn environmental people are over-regulating up there. And in fact, if you go back and look, IDEM was really created, I think, to actually protect the regulated community from the EPA because if the state doesn't step up and address problems then the EPA just does it out of Chicago and so that's why people wanted a state agency they thought might be a little more responsive to their concerns so I think that if you put in a really strict limitation on that what's going to happen is uh, time and again we're going to have some unique issue that needs to be addressed here in Indiana and then we're going to have delays as we come back and get the legislature to perhaps approve what the uh, IDEM might want to do. So I just think as a practical matter, it's not a very good approach. You know, in the whole uh, tap water situation, the crisis, I guess we could call it, in Flint, Michigan, it was cited as an example. And I know you, there are differing opinions about whether Indiana could address that issue very quickly or not. But, Tim Maloney, that's a, you've used that example as, as evidence of why the kind of uh, no more stringent than legislation would be bad for Indiana, that it, if, if there were that kind of situation with a uh, water utility in Indiana that theoretically IDEM could not respond uh, quickly enough. Is that? Uh, well, yeah, yes, and to be clear, the a no more stringent than policy was not the cause of what happened in Flint. I mean, there were failures on many levels of, of government. State, federal, local, Memphis pretty much yes, uh, uh, the slam dunk all the way down, right? The point of, of raising that that issue and the the drinking water crisis crises that happened in Charleston, West Virginia, and Toledo, Ohio, is that um, the federal regulations for protecting drinking water um, have gaps and and weaknesses, and with this kind of policy, then we fear that you will be preventing Indiana from doing what it needs to do to be sure that we're protecting our drinking water supplies and I'll tell you when you lose your drinking water source for a week as, ha as happened in Charleston West Virginia you don't want that to happen both for for public health and for your local economy I mean that kind of outcome is just devastating and we we feel we need to be sure that in Indiana we protect all of our um, uh, ability to to protect health in the environment and and make sure that, uh, as Representative Pierce said, we're not tying the hands of our professional uh, environmental uh, officials at the uh, state agency. And yet, uh, David Wilkins, your contention is that the General Assembly can be very nimble and could step into this we can step type in situation. A, we, we can step in a whole lot faster than what the regulated agencies. You go through rulemaking, everybody pretty much agrees it's an 18-month process. We meet, we're never out of session more than 10 months at a time. Uh, to give you an example, you know, we had a supposedly crisis on the uh, A to F grading system in our school education system. We fixed, fixed it in two and a half weeks. We came in January 5th, I think January 26th, we fixed this. We can work a whole lot quicker than what uh, the 
rulemaking process. And as far as, as far as the gaps, one of the provisions of the bill was that if there is no federal rule, then IDEM does have the authority to go ahead and do it. Uh, like I said, it bothers me a little bit. Flint is being used for anything and everything. Uh, the Flint situation has nothing to do with no more stringent than people made stupid decisions. They ignored the federal regulations that were there. So far, five people have lost it. They ignored complaints. I mean, we don't need a law to make people act uh, act on complaints. I mean, it, it was. People screwed up up in Flint, no question about it. And so using that as a basis of, oh, boy, we can't do it, I, I just don't buy it. Just this notion of nimbleness, if I could, though, uh, you know, we, we have a part-time legislature here. Um, so theoretically, you mentioned never away from the State House for more than 10 months. In a situation like that, are you suggesting that a special session would be uh, in order or uh, would it be utilized in environmental crises? No, or it is it be 10 months fast enough for It wouldn't be necessary. The IDEM already has emergency powers. They can issue orders for, I think, up to 90 days or whatever. So if there was a, an immediate health health threat or something, they have the power and now to And that would not have been affected by the bill. I mean, we made sure that it would not. John, the interesting thing is the, the governor of Michigan, who many have pointed to as the guy ultimately responsible for not you know, managing that water system properly, several years ago he vetoed a bill that would have required Michigan to have a no more stricter standard in several areas. And so I think that's kind of telling that someone who's getting attacked for not being very environmental also thought it wasn't necessary to have that kind of um, restriction. Now, the other thing you have to keep in mind, too, is when the legislature deals with environmental issues, it's in a fairly politically charged atmosphere, right? And so people are trying to win public support for or against something. And a lot of times when you're trying to decide how to craft a regulation at the end, you have a lot of horse trading, and it really becomes a political discussion rather than a scientific discussion, where to set some standard. Oftentimes, let's split the difference. When you're in a rulemaking scenario, public gets to comment, it's often a very technical um, discussion. You have experts from both sides that can weigh in. And then when the rulemaking board makes its decision, if the, someone feels they haven't followed the law or the proper procedure, you can then take them um, to court, and you can argue about whether they've been arbitrary and capricious in what they've done. So for highly technical areas, which environmental regulations awfully are, I think the rule board is better suited to make those kinds of decisions. Now, we are always free to come in after the fact when we have when people sound the alarm bells. So we've had occasions over the years where people have said, wait a minute, items passing a rule or in the process of considering something we think is going to be terribly oppressive. And they come to the legislature and we have the ability to say, don't do that unless the federal government is requiring it. Would you agree, though, that even the rules board, what is it, 16 members, 11 of whom are appointed by the governor, that's not in a vacuum. They don't operate uh, totally well, free from a uh, political atmosphere either. That, is, that's right? true. They often reflect the philosophy of the governor that's elected by the people. But you'd still so say that's, that's, that's a better shot at a... At but at a, least they have, to, they have to have a record, they have to collect information, and they have to justify their decision. And then people have an opportunity to, to go to a court if they feel they haven't really followed the law. And, and the rules board is one of the many checks and balances that we have in existing law to prevent agency and executive overreach. So the, the business community, the regulated interests are well represented on, on the Environmental Rules Board. Uh, and then the rulemaking process uh, has lots of opportunities for public input, including from the regulated interests. And then the Attorney General and the Governor both review rules. And the General Assembly is the ultimate check and balance. They can step in at any time and and change what an agency has done. So that that's one of the reasons why we think that this policy is is um, 
just totally unneeded because we have all those checks and balances. Well, unneeded. I went, you also, it seemed to really be a thorn in, in your side, and I'm talking about the Hoosier Environmental Council and other activists. You saw uh, kids being brought in to lobby last week and so forth. I mean, why was this, why is this more than any issue? You know, you've had the, the, the gun sights on this bill. In a way, I haven't seen necessarily with other bills. Is this that dangerous? Uh, well, move? we think it, it's pretty dangerous in terms of, of just setting a, a policy that says, um, you know, we're not, we're going to leave um, Indiana's health and the environment to the feds and, uh, and not be sure we have all the tools at our disposal to, to take action if we need to. And, uh, you know, Representative Pierce mentioned Michigan, Utah had a no more stringent than uh, law, which they just repealed last year because they found that it was keeping them from solving an air quality, a chronic air quality problem in, in Salt Lake City. And, and Utah is a very conservative state. And, and uh, the, the Republican legislator who sponsored the repeal said, you know, we're not Utahns are not the type of people who sit around idly and wait for the federal government to solve our problems. Well, I have no credentials as a mind reader, but something tells me, David Wolfen, you have something to yeah. say about this yeah. since right. it's your <laughs> legislation. Uh, on the rules, politics plays a big part in that. You know, we say that we have an environmental rules board that it's represented by different, uh, you know, you have somebody from, from the farming community, somebody from the health community, and so forth. But I, I go back, I've been here a long time, and, and I remember when we had the three boards, uh, there was an appointment on one of the boards where the person Person, their background had to be in business and our governor chose a rabid environmentalist who happened to have a little part-time cake baking business in or out of her home cookies or cakes or something that was the business representative games were played with that as well so there is politics involved on on the on the rule board rules rules board as well so I mean and the notion I know Tim just said uh, you'd be uncomfortable leaving it to the feds, but in fact, your argument is you'd be leaving it to 150 elected officials in, in The in ultimate decision, yes, because we're supposedly the policy makers and we are elected by the people. A lot of, you know, there are 19 states now that I believe still have some form of no more stringent than, and a lot of it depends on who is in, who's running the show, whether it's a Republican legislature or Democrat legislature. And, and once the bill uh, came out of Senate uh, environmental affairs this week, it was uh, dramatically altered. In fact, now it's basically, a requirement that the rules board and IDEM provide an annual report on bills, or I should say rules that are being considered or being uh, pursued. Fair, uh, you can live with that? Well, that's a much better improvement, and you know, the legislature can never have enough information, so to get those reports, that's a Because everybody kind reads of every, every word. E exactly. Every I mean, I, I'm not sure <laughs> if it'll really have, have that much of an impact, but that's obviously, from my perspective, much more preferable to leave the flexibility with the rulemaking body and then have us kind of monitor what they're doing. And if we think that somehow they're out of bounds, then we can have that debate within the legislature. And Tim Maloney, you view this as a victory? Uh, it's definitely progress, and I think we, we would be comfortable with this outcome, and, and, um, and hopefully it will, this will resolve the no more stringent than issue for, for, well, until it's for fifth, coming years. Until the fifth consecutive year it's filed. <laughs> now, you, you had filed some amendments or suggested that there might still be some wiggle room that you, because we all know nothing really is over until uh, the right. session is gaveled, uh, sine die. 
It is a small step in the right direction in my mind. It does not solve the problem. Uh, uh, so we're still working on it and we, we may have uh, make it tighten it up just a little bit more before we're done. Okay, interesting. Stay tuned. Got to have a cliffhanger. <laughs> Solid waste management districts. Uh, they also, the SB 88, SB 366, one would have uh, done away with property tax support um, for these districts, uh, which I think more than 50% of the what, nearly 70 districts statewide rely on property taxes. That was withdrawn, uh, and what was left is, uh, was 366, which again would have given county commissioners, a majority of county commissioners, uh, the opportunity to back out of, of these uh, districts. Um, and again, that too has been changed uh, to a certain extent, but Matt Pierce, uh, Good idea, bad idea, somewhere in the well, middle? Well, I mean, it's hard to argue against, you know, local option, local control. But I think in reality what's going on here, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, I think we have some waste haulers and some local people who don't like paying any kinds of taxes at all. And some solid waste districts have some taxing authority. And they've been kind of every year coming at these districts trying to eliminate them. And uh, now I think they've got a new strategy. So, well, if we can get the option down to local level, then what we can do is we can just shift the politics down there and see if we can chase people out of these districts. And I think the districts have done a very valuable thing for us in that when we had all this trash coming in from out of state um, back around 1990, the legislature couldn't just pass a law saying, we don't want any out-of-state trash coming in here because that violated the Interstate Commerce Clause. Trash is business, and you can't impede it in favor of your own state. But individual counties making decisions about what comes in and out of their county affects Indiana counties around them as well as the, the wider trash hauling industry. So therefore, it doesn't violate the Interstate Commerce Clause. So I think we still need that fail-safe to ensure that we can regulate what's coming in or at least local communities have some, some ability to control that. And then the other thing is I think the solid waste districts, by kind of aggregating the demand and helping manage the um, – the solid waste kind of flow of things has been able to get better value for their constituents. Instead of having each individual community perhaps having to negotiate with a private hauler about who's going to handle their stuff, they can kind of come together as a county or multiple counties and offer up private industry a long-term contract with greater volume and you can drive the cost Economies down. Economies of scale, yeah. I guess. Dave, Dave Wilkins, uh, just as the Senate uh, had tweaked your legislation, you tweaked this legislation and uh, <laughs> put some more safety mechanisms in there. Now it's not just the commissioners, but I believe the county council would have to uh, Both have weigh to, off yes. on it as, uh, and there would be a public hearing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the, why, why the changes? Uh, changes, well, a lot of the changes were simply uh, the, the actual details of how a lot of our districts are set up as single, fa single not single family, single county, county districts, some of them are multi-county, and the, the remedy they had for undoing them didn't fit all of them. So we put in, put in some changes to, to make that happen. As far as whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea, like I said, 25 years ago, 1990, Senator Gard and I were the two that put the bill in effect. At that time, uh, we had a shortage of landfills, uh, and the conditions are different now. Uh, most, the majority of the solid waste districts are doing a great job. Uh, I think there will only be four or five that probably will do away with it and let the private sector take over. Uh, the, the county has to figure out what to happen because it can't happen. Indianapolis hasn't had a solid waste district ever. And I haven't heard that many things other than the fact that they don't do enough recycling uh, is the only complaint we've had out of that. So, so it, it's funny. I mean, this is a local control issue. We all love local control if it fits what our goals are. Uh, we go back and forth on it. And this is a local control. If the, if the local community, uh, local commissioners and county council think that it can be handled by the private sector, then so be it. Let them do it. Although, Tim Maloney, you've suggested that Indiana's water supplies could be at risk 
if in fact there was a, a wide-scale abandonment of, of solid waste management districts? Uh, yes, the solid waste districts have been, and the law that created them have been uh, provided great benefits to Indiana in terms of, of diverting recyclable materials and reusable materials from from landfills and and uh, helping keep uh, household toxic waste out of our water supplies uh, with their um, uh, tox drop programs. I mean, those are those are great services that uh, have have uh, led to better environmental quality. So um, we think the uh, as this legislation goes forward that it we should be extremely careful about being very thoughtful and deliberative uh, in the process of whether a community decides to do away with a district. Uh, but there are... You uh, have to leave sure. it there. That's uh, time flies. And I can, will say that what you've served up today is anything but solid waste. You've, it's been very enlightening. <laughs> I feel uh, I know more about the issue than when I sat down and I, I chalked that up as a, as a good conversation. I'm sure viewers and listeners will feel the same way. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative David Wilkins of Warsaw, Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, and Tim Maloney of the Hoosier Environmental Council. As the General Assembly winds down this session, several bills that would restrict abortion are ramping up. Should make for a lively discussion on the next Indiana Lawmakers. Time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, we talked about a couple of bills. Uh, the tweaks seem to be going different directions in a way. Is there any common theme here with some of the environmental legislation uh, that we're seeing this session? It seems that there is, John. It, it looks like we're, we're trying to simplify things for the business community. The business community doesn't want to be subjected to a patchwork quilt, whether it's from the state versus the EPA or localities versus IDEM, the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. So we're looking at trying to, to make things into a, a one-size-fits-all approach. And, and a, a bill that you didn't talk about uh, during the, the roundtable today that, that seems to be progressing through is, is one that would, would uh, limit local governments from being able to regulate those plastic trash, uh, not trash bags, we use them as trash bags, it seems, but the plastic grocery bags that you get at, at uh, grocery stores and drug stores and places like that. Um, there's a movement, there's been a movement over the past few years to um, to stop the use of these at the local level in, in some, some municipalities in California, I think, have, have done that, right? Right, uh, and there, there's been talk about that in some communities in Indiana, too, and the legislature wants to put a stop to that and say, no, you know, here's the state standard, you can't do it. So it's, a, it's the not more stringent than a bill with a twist. I mean, in this case, it's not more stringent than, than state standards. Right, statute. and, and in, in some cases, you have to, to take a step back and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, are, are we really looking at, at promoting home rule, or are we looking at more of a top-down approach? And, you know, the, the, philo the philosophical uh, standpoint behind all this isn't always consistent. You know, Flint has brought the environment back and the, the public's uh, attention, but is it as potent a political issue as it was, say, 20 years ago when everybody was concerned about trash, where to put it, and PCB contamination. I mean, it seemed like it was even bigger at one point. It's potentially an issue, and it, it's an issue if something happens. Otherwise, you know, we, we tend not to think about it. We don't think about where we put our trash. We don't think about what some of these chemicals are doing to us. And it's only when it's a, a really salient issue, when it becomes a, a public health issue, that it becomes a real political issue. And so in, when we look at legislative races and the governor's race, 
plenty of issues I think we can predict would be part of those races. Environmental issues, maybe not so much. No, although I think you'll, you'll certainly see the governor you know, fight against the sulfur dioxide, the greenhouse gas um, regulations that are coming through uh, being attempted by EPA, but that's not going to be a real easy issue for Democrats to oppose because of the, the jobs and, and coal components. And some of their uh, most staunch supporters in their districts. Uh, very interesting. Ed, as always, appreciate your insight. Thank you. For more information, streaming episodes, and extra content, go to WFYI.org lawmakers. You can also visit us at WFYI on Facebook and Twitter. Use hashtag Indiana Lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Schwannis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Christopher Ayers, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more on the 2016 session. Until next week, take care. Purdue researchers are finding new ways to treat cancer, provide drug-free therapies, advance wound repairs, reduce chronic illness symptoms, helping people, changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.